0: Easter, well, a happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. For those of you who don't know, my name is Justin. I have the privilege of being one of the elders among this church family. Uh, and it's so good to be back here. Now, for those that are new, a little backstory. We used to meet here, as Darianne mentioned, prior to uh, COVID. So I just want you to just pay attention. Really what does it feel like to be back here for those of you that were here, that were meeting with us prior to? I mean, pre COVID. I'd say a few things have changed in our world, maybe, I don't know, it's been a couple years, but here we are um, celebrating what I will contend as the most significant historical <laughs> moments in human history. So, so significant, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this amazing story that is a signpost of an even greater story. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that your bride here is meeting together again in this place. But God, thank you that your people are meeting all across the world, celebrating this amazing, significant day. And so God, we thank you that we get to be together. Thank you that we are coming here in your name. And I just ask that you guide me, that you open our hearts collectively And individually to what you want to say to us. Mm. Bring us from death to life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's historical moments in life that often go unnoticed. But the effects of those moments are experienced for a long time. Think for a second of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, a group of guys coming together in Philadelphia to sign a document proclaiming independence from a country 3,500 miles away. It was an unbelievably monumental moment, but it probably wasn't even felt down the street, let alone in London across an ocean. But you better believe that once news about that moment got to London, it would have had significant impact. This is a historical moment that reverberates throughout history over and over, even today. Similarly, situations like natural disasters, think of a tsunami for a moment, an earthquake, middle of the ocean, sending tidal waves for miles. The earthquake isn't felt on land, it's, it's a historical moment, but the effects of it eventually show up and it has catastrophic impact in some cases. And we know that this same thing happens to each of us personally. A word can be given to us. A word of good or even of ill can be spoken to you as a child that shapes your understanding of yourself and your view of the world. These may be words of encouragement that put you on a path to life. Well done, I love you, good job or you may have sadly heard her derogatory, shame-filled, cutting remarks. You'll never amount to anything. I wish you were never born. A historical moment that has long-term effects for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Today, we come together to celebrate the most significant moments of history in all of human history. The effects of which still are reverberating to us today in every aspect of our world. The claim that Jesus is the resurrection and the life that we heard in this passage. The historical fact that Jesus, a Jewish man born in obscurity. Claim to be the creator God. Not a created being, but the creator God himself. Who set up this eternal kingdom in the midst of the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. He experienced physical death at the hands of the Romans in an unbelievably excruciatingly painful way on the cross by crucifixion. Those who knew him best, though, who were with him all the time, then claim that he physically rose from the dead three days later. These men and women who claimed this radically reoriented their life around Jesus to the point where history tells us that the majority of those early people that claimed Jesus rose from the dead, they would give their own lives to the claim that Jesus was not just the Messiah. But that he was the crucified and risen from the dead, Lord of all. Now this belief didn't just change part of their lives. This belief changed all of their lives. And the question for all of us is the same question that Mary and Martha was posed by Jesus. And it's a simple question. Do you believe? But I want to take that question one step further for us today, because when we hear the term "believe," we tend to think of it as a giving of a mental acknowledgment. It's like, yeah, I think it's true. Just like I think two plus two equals four, I can check the box. It presented an option, but it doesn't really have an impact on the rest of my life. It's not just do you believe? Like you can check the box. It's, will you orient all of your life around the effects of this historical moment? Now, for the reason why I have to clarify this is what happens in our society, what I'll call the sacred-secular split. We tend to put our beliefs in different boxes. For instance, all that is, quote, religious or spiritual ends up being put in this sacred box. Now, this will affect maybe your personal life, maybe your worship, your morality, maybe it affects a couple hours of your Sunday mornings, and if you really, really believe, it may even affect one more night of the week. But that's the extent of it. This is separated from the secular realm, which is science, politics, economics, scheduling, your work life, and a host of other parts of your life. Now, according to the sacred-secular split, what Jesus did only impacts this internal belief, this internal, secular, or excuse me, sacred part of your life. But it has no impact on the way that you view the rest of your life. What Jesus is asking is more than just giving your mental assent to some spiritual belief. He's not asking us to believe in the same way that we believe the Declaration of Independence was signed. He's asking if we are willing to orient all of our life around him. Not just in a moment, and not just for a moment, but the long-term impacts of your life and a new understanding of how the way the world is supposed to work. And this is because Jesus himself is risen from the dead. And if you believe that's true, that changes everything. Now, as we look at this story of Jesus in John chapter 11, let's start asking this question. Not just what do we believe or do you believe, but if I believe, what does it actually change? And so, for a time, we could go about that a thousand different ways, but I'm going to just focus on two that I think we find in this text. I think this changes our suffering and our understanding of our significance. So, here we are, John chapter 3. Jesus is coming to an end of his public ministry. He has been speaking. He, as we've been hearing in the story, he went about doing all these miracles Now he would do this, and now he would do all these teachings, and he would go about it. But he was ultimately rubbing the uh, leaders the wrong way, those that had power over this. And they wanted to kill Jesus, as we saw in verse 53. Now, he wanted to stay away from Judea. We heard that early in the story, because this is where those leaders had their power. And if he went down there... He was putting himself in danger. He was putting himself in a place where he could get not only caught, but put to death. So, it's understandable that he was trying to get away. But while he was away, he gets word that his good friend, Lazarus, is sick. Now, by the time that Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, Lazarus is already probably dead. Remember, it's two days away. So... It's important to understand for us what's happening in their minds in this timing. Because for them, in their understanding of science and medicine, they thought that a person was truly, fully, really dead on day four. So Jesus likely heard, heard that he was dead or sick on day two. So what did Jesus do? He waited. He waited so that he could get there. On day four. Because on day four, this is the point where there is no hope. Jesus shows up when to them it seems way too late. He shows up on day four. Now imagine being Mary and Martha for a moment. Jesus' friends, but also Lazarus' sisters. They know Jesus has done some miraculous things. I mean, a few chapters earlier, Jesus healed a man born blind. We, they've heard that he's fed 5,000 people at a time. They've heard that he's claimed to be lots of different things. They believe he has the power to do something. They have faith that he's capable of healing their sick brother. But Jesus doesn't show up in day one, two, or three. Jesus shows up on day four, not in time. It makes sense that they would uh, approach Jesus almost as if they're accusing him. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. They are in the depths of experiencing and feeling their day four. What in your life feels like that? What is your day four? Where there's no hope. Where there's suffering and there's pain. Where you may have thought that life would have turned out a certain way, but it didn't. Where others have let you down. Where you want to go up to Jesus, just like Mary and Martha did, and said, where were you when? We all have moments where we don't believe that God showed up for us in time. He could have showed up on day zero before this even happened, right? At least show up on day one, two, or three, right? Like, come on, there's at least a little bit of hope, but he doesn't. He didn't. He could have stopped that horrific thing. He could have showed up on day zero, but he didn't. Maybe your relationship was on the brink, but not without hope, and yet he waits till day four. Yet Jesus shows up here And sometimes in our life, not in the timing that we want. He shows up on day four. So what does Jesus do with these day four moments? How does Jesus experience that with us? How does he look at it? We want to answer, this is why Jesus shows up on day four, not on day one, two, three. But the story doesn't give us that. Other than... It's to reveal God's glory. We want more than that. We want more information. We want more reasoning of why. But somehow in God's miraculous way, He doesn't <clears throat> do it the way we want Him to. And yet, He does something significant in the midst of it. How does Jesus look at all this? What is He experiencing Jesus in this passage shows a tremendous amount of emotion. This passage contains the shortest verse in the Bible, in the English. Simp, two simple words Jesus wept. If you've been on a Bible memorization journey, start there. We can all leave with that one. Okay? Jesus wept. Done. Check mark. But think about it. Jesus himself. The one who claimed to be creator God, who had the power to do something, weeps. Jesus felt the sadness of what was going on. Now even the leaders recognized the empathy that Jesus had. He recognized that he had a heart that cares in the midst of the sadness. But I think Jesus' emotions goes much deeper and much further than just that because in verses 33 and 38 it tells us when Jesus was seeing, when he sees the weeping of Martha in the ESV he says he's deeply moved but there's a reason why I wanted to read the NLT because it says a deep anger welled up in him what Jesus saw made him angry Mm. but what was he angry at? Now it could have been the lack of the faith of people. We've seen in the story where he looks at his disciples and saying, you have little faith, where are you? Maybe it's the religious leaders. Because the same people that are trying to kill him are now consoling his friends. And he's like, how dare you? What are you doing here? It could have been anger at that. But I think it goes even deeper than that. I think he's angry at the situation (coughs) itself. I think he's angry at death because death is just wrong. It's not the way the world is meant to be. In the beginning, the world was created as good. God approved of all that was in the world, yet because Humans believed a lie about God. It led to their rebellion against the giver of life. And what happens when you rebel against the giver of life? Death is now welcome into the picture. You can imagine the deep anger welling up in Jesus at all the sin and all the death that the world has ever experienced. It's not just this moment, I believe. It's not just the expression of death, but it's also everything that death welcomes into the world. The cancer diagnosis of your loved family member, the loss of every loved one, the decaying of relationships, the mother or father that wasn't there, leading to lack of life in the child's life. It's anger. A few weeks ago, um, we had the privilege of being uh, at the bedside of Darian's grandmother as she passed. Now this was a situation where she was about to be 90 years old. She was surrounded by some loved, um, loved ones, us included. So her family loved her, lived a long life. She loved Jesus. I mean, it's about as good of a situation as it can get when it comes to death, right? And yet, as I'm sitting there and and seeing her body in those last moments, those deep, sudden breaths that tend to happen, there's something about it that's just wrong. Now, this was as good of a situation as it could have been. Right? And I'm I'm thankful for that. It's God's grace in her life and in her family's life. But the fact that it's even a thing, Not this situation. The fact that death is even death. And Jesus is looking at it face to face in this moment. Of his good friend. Like this isn't some random stranger. Jesus is experiencing that. And even in that anger. Jesus is present for Mary and Martha. He shows up for her. And in this story, and ultimately for all people who believe. Just like Lazarus. Because our suffering in the gospel is not meaningless. Our suffering now welcomes the prince of peace into our lives. Our suffering when we believe is not the end. Because we know that there is a future hope that is a guarantee for us. But that future hope is not just future. Because Jesus is the king of the world, it's now available to us in the present. That's why Jesus says what he says in verses 25 and 26. He says, anyone who believes in me um, will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes me will never ever die. Does that guarantee that we're not going to cease breathing? No, that's not what he's saying. Does this guarantee that we won't suffer or have circumstances that will um, be difficult? That's not what he's saying either. Is that saying that we're never going to experience the pain and hardship? No. What he's saying is that he doesn't create the suffering, but he uses the suffering of this world to bring us to him. (coughs) That's what he wants to do because he himself... Is the Prince of Peace. He himself, what does it say here? Is life. Jesus doesn't bring life. Jesus himself is the life. So what is he using the painful situations in our world to? So that we can come to life itself. Life himself. And experience it in all of its fullness. In the midst of day four. It doesn't change day four, but now we can stand in day four knowing that Jesus himself who brings life is here with us, and one day it will no longer be this way. Mm-hmm. That he who is the not only is the life, is also the resurrection. And that's the promise that you and I, when we say, yes, I believe, are guaranteed that when Jesus returns, He fixes all this world and all the brokenness and all the decay and all the suffering. And there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death. And we will walk with glorified bodies with him on this earth forever and ever. That's good news, brothers and sisters. That's what we long for in the suffering. We want something to be done. Fix the brokenness, God. And he's saying, I have. And I will. Mm -hmm. Because I am the resurrection and the life. I am here with you. What in your life brings you great sadness and anger? Because it's just not the way it's supposed to be. This Easter, this Resurrection Sunday... Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can now experience and receive life in him by coming to him. Jesus looks at the suffering of his friends and he brings life. We are invited to believe that our suffering is not the end. Lazarus in the story is resurrected and he points to that future, eventual resurrection for us. And when I say yes, I believe, not just mental assent, but give my whole life towards the long-term effects of that historical suffering now has new meaning. But we are, we're also invited to believe beyond that. It's not just that our suffering changes. It's now that we can have that our life, meaning, and significance can change as well. the end of this passage, after Lazarus is resurrected, the religious leaders have had enough with Jesus. This was the thing in the Gospel of John. They saw this and said, that's it. Heron broke the camel's back. This guy's got to die. Which is ironic because these are guys that, in their big Ten Commandments, You shall not murder. But for some reason, they can justify this in their mind. I'll I'll let you think about that for a second. Okay, so they wanted to kill him. And I believe that their response of this is because there was something that he was taking away from them. There may have been a little bit of them trying to keep God's people holy, but I think a little bit more than that is that they found their significance in their power. They found their solace in that having their powerful and this role in their lives. They thought that if they lost this, they would lose meaning in life. They would lose their significance. Now if we're honest, we're not much different. While we may not want to rule over people, we all have things in our life that bring us ultimate significance and worth. Biblically, this is to be found in God and God alone. Anything other than that, where we get our significance or where we give our worship, this is what the Bible calls an idol. Like American idol. But what do you think of where that word comes from? Now their idolatry was power. Life was only meaningful if they had power and influence over others. But yours and mine may be different. You and I may think that life only has meaning if I'm respected and loved by a certain person. You may think that you only have worth if you have a certain kind of pleasure over, um, in a, or a particular quality of life. Maybe life only has meaning if you're able to get mastery over a specific area of life. Maybe you only have meaning or significance if you can control certain things. Maybe you are like me, and you think that if you're highly productive, getting a lot done, or being recognized for your accomplishments and excelling at your work, that's when you're significant. So think of it like this way. If you're not getting those things, then then life has no meaning. Or if you're not getting these things, then you're an insignificant person. No one loves you, no one accepts you, you just might. And then what are you gonna have to do? Do more, try harder. Maybe you only have work if you have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, or very nice possessions. Maybe it's on one hand, adhering to a religious moral code and doing all that it asks of you, accomplishing its activities. But maybe it's on the other hand, which is more true of our culture, that you feel totally independent of any form of organized religion and you are living by your self-made morality. As long as you can be you, then you are satisfied. But if anybody ever asks you to do something that's not you, then mm-mm, that's sin. I have to get away from that. Maybe you only have worth it... Th- If one person in your life is happy. It may be your your race or your culture is superior to all others. Maybe it's family that your children or your parents are are happy and they're happy with you. You may have somebody, a Mr. or Mrs. Right in your life. And once they are happy with you, then you can be happy in life. We can be so easily deceived by these idols. These things in our life that we expect to satisfy us that we end up lying to ourselves, thinking we aren't really like that. But if you and I are honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of this in all of us. There's always, there's something. We all look all over the place for satisfaction. What happens? Eventually, we discover that that thing cannot carry the weight of our worship. So we either become bitter at that thing. Say it's a loved one, for instance. You give everything to that loved one. You expect that once that loved one and you are in a great relationship, then all of life will go well. You do everything you can, and that person is not thankful. That person doesn't receive it and doesn't respond to it. What do you do then? Maybe become bitter? Maybe angry, resentful? Or you just simply move on to the next thing, thinking that if you do the same thing to something else, that new thing will give you what you're actually wanting. Jesus is coming into this story, and he's completely changing it. Because, what does the passage say? He is the resurrection and the life. Where does life get its meaning? Where do you get your satisfaction? your self-understanding, your identity. If it's in any of those other things, eventually it will let you down. Mm -hmm. The offer that Jesus has is an invitation to receive the true fullness of satisfaction in Him because He is life. And all of this ultimately comes to an offer of salvation. The, signpost, uh, the raising of Lazarus is just a signpost. It's almost like a preview to the real movie. It's not the real movie itself. It's, it's just kind of showing you what the movie is going to be. Because we know Lazarus eventually dies again. Lazarus is still not walking <coughs> this earth. So even though he was risen from the dead, he dies again. Just like every other person. But not Jesus. The question of do you believe... Brings about some amazing long-term effects in the life of Jesus. Believing means that you are fully loved by the Father, not because you are sinless, but because in the midst of your sin and brokenness, He chooses to extend grace to you. It means that you are forgiven of all of your sins when you place your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Is that you are cleansed of all things that make you, quote, dirty. This means that you were made holy, set apart, clean, because he who was holy, the perfect Holy One, Jesus, took on everything that defiled you, and he in return gave you his cleanliness and holiness and righteousness. The belief in the historical resurrection means that you can experience resurrection in the here and now. It means that your work has new meaning. No longer Monday through Friday are you working towards your own goals, but now there's a new significance that brings God's kingdom in every area of society. And somehow, some way, what you do here and now affects eternity as you go about your normal 9 to 5 job. You can Now you can have hope in the midst of suffering, knowing the Prince of Peace is always with you. That your significance is in Him because you are united with Him. All of this is the outworking of the historical moment of Jesus' resurrection. It has happened. The long-term effects can happen and do impact every area of every moment of every day of every single life. Jesus is risen from the dead and that changes everything. But the question for you is do you believe? I'm gonna invite the the music team up here we're gonna continue singing. But that's the question that's posed to every single one of us here is do you believe? If I, I'm going to address first those that this is not your first rodeo when it comes to Easter. Nor is it your first um, hearing of what is called the gospel, the good news. Are there areas of your life where you don't fully believe this? Are there areas of your life that the resurrection hasn't tapped into yet? You're like, yeah, this effect, yeah, I'm going to heaven, check mark, okay, I'm going to go about doing the rest of my life. But are parts of your life that this has not yet touched? That you're holding back, that you think if you let go of that area of seeming significance, you will lose the most important things of your life. What does it mean for you, who have heard this, to believe? To my friends, whether new or old here, that have not yet initially said yes, I believe. This is an invitation to you. Mm. Not a command, not a force, but an invitation. From a God, a creator God that made everything. That knows that the world is broken. knows that something has to be done to fix it. And he doesn't stand in the distance waiting for people to figure it out. Mm. That God himself took on flesh and dwelt among us. That he came as a baby on Christmas morning. That he grew up always doing what God, God told him to do. And always doing what's good. Never making any mistakes. And he did that not only to show us what it meant to be human but that he would eventually go to the cross. And in his perfection, he took on the weight of the sins of the world. Everything that wrong you've ever done, are doing even in this moment, or will do in the future, God says, I've paid the penalty for that. Yeah. And, and in rising from the dead, he defeats death itself. The thing that's so wrong, Jesus took on himself mm-hmm. and then defeated it on what we celebrate as Resurrection. And for you to say, I believe that, is for you to now be accepted, to be loved, to be welcomed, to be made whole as you learn what it means to continue to live out being whole in the rest of, the rest of your life. So the invitation is to say to to the question, do you believe? Yeah. And the way that we all are going to respond to that is in communion. This is the the symbol, the presence of God among us. The reminder that Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross, in our place, for our sins. That's why we take the bread and we break it. Because we remember that Jesus' body was broken. We dip it in the juice, which is on the coaster, or in the wine, which is not on the coaster. This <laughs> a little instructions there for you. <laughs> we dip it because we recognize that by his blood, he, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We <clears throat> take it together as a new community, as a new family in the midst of a broken world, experiencing the new kingdom here and now. So, some instructions for you. The invitation is for everybody, whether it's your first time or your thousandth time, to go to the table, and by taking it, you are saying, yes, I believe. Yes, I know that that historical moment, I'm proclaiming it to be true, and I'm willing to follow in the long-term effects of that historical moment. That I am now forgiven, I am now cleansed, and I have the invitation to satisfaction like I've never had before in the midst of my day